So, uh, have you ever noticed that young children have a very, very acute sense of justice? When there are two children and only one cookie to break in half and divide between the two, both of them can tell which side is bigger than the other one. When it's time to pick out the, the book to read at night, Children inherently know whose turn it is to pick out tonight's book. When a child has even the slightest sense that their rights have been violated, it's usually accompanied with a plea Hear that often. Children, it would seem, have a built-in radar detector that, that again, uh, just sends, sends, sounds the alarm when they feel like they have been a victim of injustice. Parents understand this. Grandparents understand this. Uh, it's, not my, it's my turn now. She's had it longer than I have. Why does he get to sit in the front seat? I never get to front, sit in the front seat. And on and on and on and on it goes. Now this morning's message is on the topic of justice. So to be fair, children aren't the only ones who are alone in their ability to detect inequalities. Let me ask you, what goes on inside of you when it's Christmas time and you're in a crowded parking lot with your turn signal on waiting to pull into your spot that somebody else is backing out of. And just as that other person backs out of it, someone else slides in to your spot. What goes on inside of your heart? What goes on inside of you when your son or your daughter slides safely into second base and yet the umpire calls them out? What goes on inside of you? What goes on inside of you if your boss calls you in to work a weekend shift because they simply know that you'll do a better job. What goes on inside of you? As adults, we may not out loud cry, it's not fair, but we're thinking it and we're feeling it. If we're honest as human beings, we have a desire to live in a just and in a fair society. We have a longing to exist where people don't take advantage of other people where people don't harm or mistreat other people. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with the desire to live in such a society. In fact, as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we will one day live in a completely just environment. In an environment where, where no injustices take place, not even a single one. And that's the good news. The bad news, as you are well aware, is that we are not yet in that environment. We live in a fallen world that's marked by sin. And one of the effects of sin is the reality that fallen people are willing to take advantage of other people, even at times if it means doing them harm. Now, I'm told that when you give bad news, you should sandwich it in between good news. So here's some more good news. While it is impossible on earth to enjoy what we will enjoy in heaven, we can be, by God's power, people who intentionally pursue justice 
And we can do it in a way that makes a significant impact in our world. Sadly, it's no secret that we live in a world filled with injustices. All of the issues that I'm about to, to mention are, are very, very complex. And I mention them simply as a, a general example of only a handful of the different ways that people and people groups in our world are treated unjustly. And before I do, I want to mention that I am aware that some of these issues are deeply, deeply personal. And uh, I want to let you know that I do not bring them up in any way to, to, um, to cause anyone any kind of harm or pain or reopen any wounds or, or bring any shame on anyone. Uh, God's uh, forgiveness and his mercy and his grace are available to all of us in, in ways that we need. But church, as the church, we cannot be ignorant to the fact that we live in an unjust society. Some of the injustices in our world involve human trafficking. Uh, according to national st statistics, almost 25 million people in our world are forced into labor that they don't choose. Uh, it really amounts to modern-day slavery, and 71% of the individuals that this impacts are women and children. Sex trafficking. National and, and world statistics would say that 4 million people, 99% who are women and, and girls, 4 million of them are sex trafficked in our world. Poverty. There are 588 million people that live in extreme poverty. That would mean their family lives on less than $1.90 a day. That statistic is getting increasingly much, much better. If you look at that statistic in the 1960s, it would be way more staggering. But still, 588 million people in our world live in extreme poverty. Racism. Racism exists in any society that has any amount of diversity and while there have been major strides in our our country in America racism is still alive and well no matter what the color of our skin most of us like to believe that we are completely colorblind and yet in truth few of us actually are racism clearly is not exclusive to America it's a worldwide injustice and it's sinful Discrimination, treating somebody differently because of their skin color, because of their ethnicity, because of their gender, their religion, their physical appearance, or any disability is unjust. Another injustice in our world is educational inequality. If you look at 35 out of 114 countries, Fewer than 50% of the poorest children ever have the opportunity to complete even primary school. And if you look within our own country at some of the conditions of inner city schools as compared to the schools that our children get to go to, uh, there's a staggering, staggering difference. Abortion. There's an estimated 40 to 50 million abortions a year in our world. 
40 to 50 million. That would equate to 125,000 a day, which means in, in the time that we have this service, in the one hour that we gather, there will be 5,000 children that are aborted. 22% statistically of the pregnancies in the United States end in abortion. Clearly, in my opinion, greatest sin of humanity. Sexism, that involves any practice of stereotyping or discrimination typically against women based on gender. And there are, are a lot of different statistics around this issue. But right now, nationally, a woman earns 82 cents for every dollar that a man earns. And that is unjust. Child abuse. Nearly 700,000 children were abused in the United States this past year. In 2018, there were over 1,700 children that were killed as the result of child abuse and neglect. God calls parents to discipline their children. There is never a time where he would ever call someone to abuse or neglect a child. The last one that I want to mention is simply crime. All crimes are examples of injustices. And we have crime at the local level, the state level, the federal level, and the world. Which of these issues saddens you the most? I don't know about you, but there's times when I look at the, the level of injustices in the world, and, and it kind of paralyzes me because the need is so, so great. It's overwhelming, so overwhelming that if we're not careful, we can be tempted to become paralyzed to the point that we're tempted to do nothing. This morning, I want to use God's word to challenge us and to encourage us and to remind us that doing nothing about the injustices in our world is simply not an option. There's a popular quote many of you probably heard. It says, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men and women to do nothing. The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men and women to do nothing. None of the injustices that I've mentioned will be completely taken care of this side of heaven. However, empowered by the Spirit of God, you and I can make a difference. And this morning, I, I hope that we will leave here committed to doing so because God calls his people to be people who pursue justice. Levi has quoted Jeremy Treat often in this series in his book, Seek First. And he suggests that, God's, that, that the kingdom of God gives us a framework for pursuing justice. And the first step is to recognize that our God is a just God. And we're going to look at a variety of different scripture this morning. And you may, as we go along, want to take a reference or two down so that you can look at these in a little more detail. But the first text that we're going to look at is found in Deuteronomy 32.4. And it's a description of God. It says, He is the rock. He, his works are perfect and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. 
We see many people in our world that are very, very committed to this issue of justice and, and fighting for justice. And I am thrilled that there are passionate people in our world that are interested in justice. However, justice has been on God's mind since the very beginning of time. In fact, justice is a part of God's character. He has never and never will do anything that is in unjust. Take a look at Psalm 146, 5 through 10. The psalmist says, Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is the Lord of their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoner free and the Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down and the Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. Did you catch in that, that section of scripture the various different kinds of people that, that God's heart is moved to help? God has a heart for the poor, for the fatherless, for the immigrant, for the widow, for the sick. It's, it's been a constant, constant theme in the Old Testament. And we also see God's heart for justice in the New Testament as well. Listen to this quote from, from Jeremy Treat's book. He says, God is unchanging, and his concern for the downtrodden is revealed even more in the coming of Christ. In fact, Jesus was born fatherless into a poor family, and he immediately became an immigrant and eventually was most likely the son of a widow. In the Old Testament, God identified with the marginalized. In the New Testament, he became one of them. In Genesis 1.27, it provides another reason God calls us to pursue justice. It says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Church, Every single human being is made in the image of God. We don't completely understand what that means or how it's meant, but the Bible says we are made in the image of God, and in such, every human being is worthy of dignity and value and respect. Again, regardless of their race or their gender or their socioeconomic status, their health, or their ability or inability, so to speak, to contribute to our society. In the New Testament, we see this idea affirmed in James 3, 9. Uh, James is talking about the way that we use our tongue, and he writes, With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the image and likeness of God. So James condemns any amount of even using our words negatively, specifically because people, all people, are created in the likeness of God. Again, every single human being, 
whether they believe like you do, whether they go to your same church or another, is made in the image of God. No matter how distorted that image might be, uh, or, or whether sickness or illness or age or disability or any of those things distort that, that image of God, they are image bearers and, are, are, and should be treated with respect. So God is just, and he calls us, his people, to pursue justice. The Bible tells us that Jesus, now don't, don't miss this, Jesus, the righteous judge, who was judged in our place so that God could declare you and I righteous and just, even though we don't deserve it. Because God was willing to do that, it should be no surprise at all that he calls you and I to be involved in justice and pursuing the justice for others. Doing so is a difficult call. It involves making other people's problems our problems. Pursuing justice, church, is not a political thing. It is a love your neighbor thing. Pursuing justice is not a political thing. It is a love your neighbor thing. And I want to show us through four scriptures here, uh, God's calling us to pursue justice. You may want to write these down. The first one is Really well known. I hope you've heard this and I hope it'll stick in your, your heart as you leave. Micah 6, 8. I love this text. It says, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. We are called to act justly. James 1, 27 says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Back in the Old Testament again, in Proverbs 29.7, it says, The righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. And then in Matthew 23, it says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matter of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Scripture makes it clear that justice flows from God's heart and his character. Pursuing justice for others is not a suggestion. It's a requirement for believers. The call to pursue justice is not simply for a few really socially minded kinds of people. God cares about justice and he calls us to be people who pursue justice. So that begs the question, what is biblical justice? There are all kinds of definitions right now and redefinitions of justice. But the, human word, uh, the Hebrew word for justice is simply giving people what they are deserving of and doing so equitably. That means that if two people deserve the same wage, 
and one of those people gets paid less because they're female, that is an injustice. If two people deserve the same punishment, and because one comes from a wealthy family, they are not punished, but the poor person is, that is an injustice. In simple terms, justice involves treating all people fair and square as image bearers of God. Treating all people fair and square as image bearers of God. And I'm aware most of you when you came in here this morning had a pretty good idea of that concept. And I believe that you knew that, that as a follower of Jesus, we're called to pursue justice. I want to finish this morning by giving four practical steps for becoming a person of justice. And these are, are listed in, in Treat's book, Seek First. The first step is to listen. When you have the opportunity, take the opportunity to listen to, to people who have been directly impacted by injustice. One of the most dignifying things that you can do for another human being is listen to their life experiences. I've got a, a young man who's a friend of mine that is currently living uh, in, uh, in Atlanta, Georgia. And this uh, individual does very well for himself. He's got a good job, a nice car, lives on the 29th floor, top floor of a, of a high-rise building. And uh, I was on the phone with him about two weeks ago, and he told me that as he would come out of his parking garage, uh, he would often see a, a, a homeless person standing kind of near that direction. One day he pulled over, pulled his car over to the curb and kind of motioned, and this gentleman came to the, to the car, and he introduced himself as, as Jeff. And so my friend and Jeff were, were standing there or, or, or talking, and uh, my friend asked Jeff if he was hungry, and he said that he was. And he said, hey, I know there's a, a Subway sandwich shop two blocks down. Why don't we go have some lunch? And so Jeff turned and started walking that direction. And my friend was kind of taken back by that because he was, thought he was offering him a ride. And so he scooted his car up a little bit and said, Jeff, why don't you get in the car? And my sense is Jeff probably doesn't have many people invite him to get into their car. And so he was taken back by that. And so Jeff, a little surprised, started to get in the, the back seat of my friend's car. And my friend looked at him and said, Jeff, what are you doing? And he said, I'm getting in your car. And he says, well, come get in the front seat. And just, it has struck my friend how this man has more than likely been so deprived of any kind of kindness or respect or dignity as a person, he didn't even know how to, to, to accept an offer of lunch. And so he got in the car and they went and they basically just had lunch together. And my friend just asked him questions about himself and learned much about Jeff. And I have been interested to hear how that friendship will continue to, to go and, and transpire. People feel known and heard by God when they are known and heard by his people. People feel known and heard by God when they are known and heard by his people. Now we need to be careful that we don't try to turn people into projects and hey, there's somebody that looks differently than me so I'm gonna go have a conversation, but we need to, to listen. And when we have the opportunity, we need to ask good questions so that we can help understand, uh, better understand other people's experiences. The second thing we can do is like it. 
we can be committed to learning about these issues. Because empathy involves trying to understand what somebody else is going through from their perspective. We need to read some books, to watch some documentaries about some of these issues, to ask questions, to, to talk with people that are involved in some of these issues. Never should we stop trying to learn about some of the injustices that people in our world are going through. Many of us can be passionate about some of these issues, but often we're uninformed. Most justice issues, and I hope you've heard me say this already, are extremely, extremely complex. And there are times in our desire to help people that we can throw some solutions at some of these that might make us feel better, but may actually, if we're uninformed, be harmful to other people. We need to be careful not to let our, our political views distort the truth in these issues. And what I'm about to say is just a personal opinion, uh, so take it for just whatever it's worth. But I believe that there are times that the far right and the far left politically um, are, are about as equally distorted on some of these issues of justice. We just need to be careful where we're getting the information. We need to be humble enough to know that we need to seek out good information and learn. The third thing we need to do is to speak. Once you've, you've listened and you've learned, it's time to speak up. Look at Proverbs 31, 8 and 9. This is just so crystal clear. It says, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge rightly, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. God calls us to use whatever position or platform or influence we have to speak up for those that are marginalized. We need to speak the truth in love, but this means when you're at your backyard barbecue and your grandfather says something incredibly hurtful or racist, we, we need to take him aside privately and, and challenge that a little bit. Push back, do it respectfully, but there are times where we need to speak up in our own families or in our, our places of work or, or amongst uh, groups of friends. It's always helpful, again, if you're going to get into dialogue with somebody about some of these issues, and dialogue is excellent, but, but to have factual statistics to back up what you're saying so that you might be able to increase your understanding and maybe help someone increase theirs. I may be naive, but I believe people are more, are more ignorant than they are evil. I think some of the things that we say is just because we, we don't understand don't be afraid to actually have a conversation about some of these issues of injustice with people who have a different opinion than you. Be respectful. You may learn some things, and they may as well. Finally, after we've done those three things, there are times where, where it is going to be a time that we should take action. As we've actually already seen, God is more pleased with our being fair and square with others than with other worship activities that we can take place in. Um, individually, we may not have much power to change some of these injustices on a national level. However, there is a ton of stuff 
that a church our size, a community our size can do on the local level. Some of the ways that we can take action are simply to pray regularly for the oppressed in our community, in our world. We can build authentic relationships with people that have had a different experience than we have. Again, be careful that you don't turn someone into a project, but when you have the opportunity to to talk about somebody who grew up in a different environment than you, take that opportunity to befriend that person. We can all advocate for legislation that promotes justice. We can choose a bulletin on the way in. I just want to list several groups in our our community that are doing great great things with this topic. Uh, The filling homes, just just outside on the south side, they serve people with incredibly uh, difficult developmental disabilities. CPC Women's Health Resources protects the unborn. Together we can make a difference as a local initiative for a lot of under-resourced people right here uh, in the downtown area. Samaritan's Purse, that's the, the group that we do the, the shoe boxes for, but they do relief work uh, all over the place. They're in Afghanistan right now. Habitat for Humanity, that's a, a national deal for building housing for people, but, but there are local chapters as well. The Daughter Project is actually a ministry uh, related to sex trafficking. It's out of Toledo. Uh, I think he's the principal or the superintendent of the Toledo uh, Christian Schools. Um, has been involved in that and leads that organization, and they're doing some great, great things. And finally, uh, you could be a CASA volunteer right here in town to, to be a voice for children that are experiencing abuse and neglect. Church, we can't do everything, but we can do some things. Do for one person what you wish you could do for, for all of the people that are going through that. As I close, I just want to encourage you and remind you that the church that Jesus established 2,000 years ago is making in this world. Sure, there is more that the church can do. There's more that the church should do. However, by God's grace, countless, countless people in our world are being helped each year, each week, each day, by faith-based initiatives like the ones on the screen here. The, the Samaritan's Purse I've mentioned, the Salvation Army, Compassion International, World Vision, Food for the Hungry. There's all kinds of, of national world organizations that not only meet people's physical needs, but they desire to help them come to know Jesus as well. Any of these on this board would be worthy of your your consideration for financial and prayer support. Let me have a word of prayer to close out our our message time, and then we'll kind of transition into a, a time of communion. Lord, I'm thankful that you are a God of justice, that you're a God of compassion. Lord, I'm thankful that you know each and every act of injustice, whether it's huge and, and covered by the front page uh, news or whether it's, it's private and small. Uh, you're concerned for the weak and the poor and the hungry and those that are, that are displaced into a, another country, Lord. And uh, we thank you for the example that, that you have been uh, in our lives. Lord, we just confess that there are times where it can be almost so overwhelming that uh, we think, what can we do as a single person or what can we do as a single little church in Northwest Ohio? Uh, But Lord, I pray that you would speak to each of our hearts, that we would be willing to to speak up and to listen and to learn and to to take some action, Lord, 
to be people who not only just talk about it, but actually do something to care and to love the people that you've brought into our lives. And Lord, we don't simply want to meet their physical need, although that's legitimate. Uh, we want to help point them to Jesus and the difference that it makes to have a, a life-changing relationship with the God who created us, the God who loves us, the God who went to the cross for us. We thank you for all this in Jesus' name. Amen.